Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's topic of the week. Uh, my name is Alec, and in front of me, we have Joshua Cheatham in the flesh. Uh, um, so for this week's topic of the week, we're going to be discussing, this one's a hypothetical episode, just like our uh, USMCA as an e uh, economic union uh, episode. Um, we believe that people should be aware of what ifs in the international community, what we can and can't do. Uh, so for this one, um, it's an interesting one. We have the possibility of a trilateral economic partnership between the U.S., Middle East, and China. So, like I said, it's a hypothetical episode, and we understand that tensions today are too high amongst China and the United States to see this happening right now. But it's right now. So Money talks. Money talks. <laughs> and this could be something that could be explored later in the future where we have a trilateral agreement. But as Josh said, money talks and money is a deciding factor in a lot of a lot of politics and international relations. Um, yeah. So um, a trilateral economic partnership between the U.S., Middle Eastern countries and China could be a massive deal for the international community with innovations and industrial development skyrocketing. But for this to happen, the U.S., Middle East, and China all have to see eye to eye, which right now is impossible, but not possible, uh, not impossible as time progresses. Yeah. So um, this is because the international community has one goal. It's to industrialize and develop. So regardless of whatever geopolitics are out there, everyone's goal is the same, develop and um, compete with each other economically because competition is key. And it's important. Competition is key. Partnerships are key to economic development. So, um, yeah. So China has been having a growing influence in the Middle East since around 2004 when they created their first free trade agreement with the GCC, which is the Gulf Cooperation uh, or Gulf. I wrote it down. Gulf Cooperation Council. Um, so at that time, they were looking to diversify their oil um, and become not so oil dependent as in their economies through Chinese investment. And so this was the first between those countries. So this includes Saudi Arabia, Oman, UAE, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait. Uh, I guess I didn't miss anybody. Perfect. So those are the countries there that are involved in the GCC. And um, they're not they're all OPEC nations as well. And so... China and Saudi Arabia have been collaborating for a very long time. Through 2019, they have been building a new ballistic missile. Um, I forget what it's called, but they've been building a new ballistic missile um, for military uh, partnerships. They also sell air defense systems to the Saudis and drones to the United Arab Emirates. Um, just going, kind of going over history of like China and relations with Middle East. Um, recent negotiations between Iran and Saudi Arabia to re-establish re diplomatic ties was brokered by the Chinese. Um, they've been working with Turkey to create new 5G technologies and new energy technologies. China has built infrastructure in both Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, and Oman, they, which include telecommunications technology and energy. And they have also been heavily involved in Egypt in rebuilding their infrastructure and financial systems because they have just been... You know, obviously, very, very poor financial systems in recent years as they've gotten their $15.7 from the World Bank. And lastly, they've been heavily rebuilding Iraq and Syria since the war in Iraq and the Syrian um, attacks from the uh, their government on their people. So they're very heavily involved within the Middle East as a oh, yeah. current. And the United States, of course, since 2001, has been heavily involved, but in a different way. Militarily. Militarily, yes. 
So that is why I think in the United States losing out. There's a really good article in the Atlantic is saying how can America want to fix its relationship? And one of the, the key words that I, I highlighted was aggressive diplomacy. I think that's a very interesting word because it kind of it's it's not like military, but it's like it's like forcible, like force forceful forceful diplomacy. Where they're basically telling you, giving you ultimatums, telling like, we can give you this, but you got to give us that. We can give you this, but you got to give us that. I think that's negotiating. I don't think that's more um, ultimatums. True. I think ultimatums are like, if you don't do this our way, then this X, Y, and Z will happen. I think that's just if if they labeled that as that as forced diplomacy, then I think that's a little bit too extreme. I think that's just normal um, negotiating. You know, I'll take this for this type stuff. But yes, the the United States still has. A militaristic approach in the Middle East. And China was like, all right, well, they're so busy with all that. We're going to take a different approach. And they're the ones that are negotiating um, conflict resolutions in the Middle East. And oh, yeah. people are going to China for that. But at the end of the day, the Middle East are still – they're still looking to the United States for partnerships. Absolutely. Because of how tied up we are militaristically, our military base is there. We're offering them protection, which is the yeah. first thing on the table which the Middle East wants is protection. They want protection from outside conflicts, and they also want protection from internal conflicts. They want protection of their economic prosperities and their goals. You see the UAE, Qatar, um, Saudi Arabia, they're developing economically, and they want to protect that. So okay. their protection, where do they go? The United States, not China. They may go to China for dispute resolutions because they may be a better mediator and facilitator than the united states but at the end of the day the, Chi the the middle east do come to us first before they do go to the chinese that's if we push them away and we're like we can't handle this right now yeah which has happened before and we've ignored some situations like the um what was it the resolution not the resolution the where the chinese mediated talks between saudi arabia and iran yep yeah, why, why that should have been a U.S. should have been. Oh, it was at first, but then it, nothing was getting done because there's a clear bias. You know, we're in favor of Saudi Arabia and not in Iran. But on the other side of things, China is friendly with both of them, economically and politically, especially with Iran. But economically, Saudi Arabia was just invited to join the STC, the Shanghai Cooperation Council. Uh, and so and then they don't participate have full votes, they're observer state, but the, the point is is that they gave the Chinese basically told them like like we can give you this, we can give the Iranians this, but establish ties. You know, we can help mediate these ties, establish economic relationships with each other, with people like us and um others in Eastern Asia and other around the world. The Chinese perfectly did it. And so one of the things that China tends to ignore is politics. When they are economically working with a country. Yes. The one thing the United States is doing the opposite of is we look at politics. We look at how they run their government. And we say, well, we're not going to work with people who are abusing human rights. And I'm totally with that. I understand that. The Saudis, though, not really abusing human rights. It's just their culture. I think when we look at that as uh, how, how they treat women. It's abusing human rights, but that's just how they are culturally. And I, I really don't like to influence our culture on the rest of the world. I think that's what makes everyone unique. You know, now it's if they're like the Taliban and they're just not letting women go to school or letting women like, and they're like killing people, like that's different. 
But the Saudis aren't doing that. Women are allowed to go to school. Women are allowed to own their own companies, to start their own companies. They're allowed to work. And so it's just culture. And so I think one of the new things the United States needs to look into the future is kind of ignoring cultural differences and working with them in that sense. Because that's what the Chinese do. And, and the Chinese go a little bit extreme. You know? they, they completely look the other way. Yeah. But, They're like, oh, well, we don't see that. We did not just see that happen. But yes. hey, like money. money. Yeah, yeah we'll money. give you a little change. You know, the, here's what I think about this. I think the U.S. should in a way not change country's culture. Absolutely. But they should influence globalization having that happen. Because regardless, when the world converges... Sometimes our cultures can also converge. Yeah. And ideologies converge, cultures converge. When we're all trying to work towards one goal, automatically happens. So. And America's the best example of that. Yep. I mean, we just, we're the most culturally diverse country in the world. And 99% of us get along just fine. I mean, we all walk down the streets and it's just, we're, we're just running our own business. You know, despite what you hear on the news all the time, like that's the one percent of this country. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give you maybe five percent at most. Um, and so yeah, worlds are going to collide. That's just natural when you start to globalize. But the one thing that I think the United States needs to move towards in the future, if they want to create this trilateral partnership in the future, this potential thing that we're hypothetically creating, um, is competition. We need to prove to the the Saudis and, and Qatar and the United Arab Emirates. That we can, all the Middle East, yeah, that we can build better infrastructure, provide better financial systems, provide better security. We already know we can do that. And um, provide a better political partnership with them. And then the Chinese might come to us and say, hey, let's make it. We see you're offering all this. (laughs) Why don't we add to this as well? Because they're going to want a piece of the pie as well. If the U.S. dominates in all aspects, security, economically, politically, the Chinese have no choice but to find ways to work with us, and that's what they want. That's what not—it's not what they want, but it's the oh, that's what we need in order to get them to have that want. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Because the Chinese will not work with us, regardless. Yeah. And this is why this partnership will not happen now. But if we can prove to the Middle East, as you were saying, that the U.S. has better options, I mean, just we can provide them a ton of examples with how their road initiative has failed in Africa. Oh yeah. And we don't want the Saudis, we don't want the Emiratis, we don't want any other Middle Eastern country to fall in this this trap. So we should give them a warning and create an alternative option. Yes. I think our first step is to create an alternative option to the BRI, which is Belt and Road Initiative. Yeah, I'm going to say BNR, BRI for this episode. We should create our own. Yeah, I, I why, totally agree. Why not so have true. it where we have our own initiative, combine it with the Chinese BRI, and now we have... A for, I want to say a forced partnership, but really, at the end of the day, both of us have the, the Americans and the Chinese have to sit down and say, "Okay, well, we got two different projects going on here. What yeah. can we? Here's what I'll take care of. Here's what the U.S. can take care of. We have the Middle East in the conversation. They can supply the energy resources we need yeah. to make our stuff work. Yeah. Now we have three big powerhouses of the international community. Yeah." I think that's, that's, the the one thing that America, I think, doesn't understand about the Chinese is that the, the, they don't they don't hate the United States because we're the biggest economic power. 
We hate the United States because we just keep stepping on them and stepping on them and stepping on them, and they don't like that. And so, if we just kind of—I'm not saying we got to stop stepping on their toes because we got to kind of you know, force our influence a little bit, push our power, but we, we we need to start like understanding that China's here to stay, unless something drastic happens in the next ten, twenty years. China's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the second largest economy, if not the largest economy, in the next 20 years. It's going to happen. They have a 1.4 billion person population. If they can't keep rising people out of poverty, there's endless things they can do. And they figure out how to, if they have to start having more children and figure out their aging population. Like, they're going to be here to stay. And I think making them as more of a friend or an acquaintance versus an enemy is where we need to do. And we need to drive that through respect. Because I think Xi Jinping respects the United States for what we do because we're so we have so, so much influence and we respect the Chinese. But we're losing that respect because we keep stepping on their toes. And they and keep stepping on our fine line between competition and stepping on their toes. Yeah. We're stepping on their toes because of what's going on in Taiwan right now. And we're trying to put the pressure on them to hurt them so that they can back off of Taiwan. That that's how this is how this is happening. Yeah, there needs to be a fine line between economic uh, economic competition to geopolitical competition. Yeah, I think we're mixing the two. Unfortunately, yes, is what we're doing right now, which we shouldn't we shouldn't be doing this. Geopolitics and security are one thing; economics are another thing. We're, we should be cooperating economically. And not intertwining the two. That's that's my hot take. Well, well, and the other, the other, it's a great point. The other point is, is that we could get them to back off of Taiwan if we create more economic partnerships with them, because they're seeing that we're being more cooperative. But we're not. We keep sanctioning them. We keep, um, they keep sanctioning us. We keep raising tariffs, and for what reason? We're losing we're so much the same exact money. Thing. Yeah, they're going to keep doing the same thing. Maybe if we back off a little bit and kind of open up our trade with them, maybe they'll say, all right, you know, maybe they'll back off a little bit. Um, and I think one of the first ways to do that, China has a free trade agreement with all the Middle East, the, the GTZ zone. Mm-hmm. I think the United States needs to do that. We should have. Create that competition. I think we should have done that. Yeah. But whatever happens now is in the past but i think our next step should definitely be as you said yeah creating that because if we create a free trade zone with the middle east with between the united states that can give more faith that we're not we're here to stay not just for security reasons but for economic reasons and politically we're here to stay we're not going to leave them alone because after we pulled out afghanistan man the the lack of faith that the middle east had in the united states just dwindled very very quickly and that's not good so that that that's a first step, and then I think the second step is involving Europe. Europe needs, and we said this before, needs to start looking more outwards. Yep. Um, and I think if their involvement in the Middle East grows, more economic partnership, more security alliances, not even just alliances, just you know, like hey, we're like we're here if you need you. That can open up the Middle East even more to Western society and stop them because they're going Eastern. That's just how it is. Yep. They are, and they're going to Africa. So, yeah. Yeah. The The one thing I did want to talk about is the dispute um, in the Middle East with wanting to use the want in certain trades. This oh, is also another big driver of whether this partnership is going to work or not. Yes. Because the Middle East is like, okay, well, we want to use the want. The Chinese are offering this 
this ability to to work with them economically and it's only fair we trade uh, oil in the one but this this can and can't be a big problem let me just put it out there that the one is currently pegged to the dollar yes that so whatever happens to the dollar is going to happen to the one yeah the one is not yet ready for the global stage because of how in it its inability to be created easily without any barriers to trade because of the government's very influential in how the one is traded and used low interest rates loans everywhere yep so with the middle east as you said going more eastern this should have been a wake-up call the moment the middle east said we want to use the one now this should have this should have been like something should have clicked in here in, yeah. in the mind <laughs> like a light bulb like okay we need to do something about it and we need to do it quick because hypothetically, let's say BRICS goes through, what's not to say the Middle Eastern countries are going to expand? Now the United States is out of the picture. Yeah. Fully Eastern now. We need to be in there right now and discussing new trade deals for them to continue trading in the dollar to promote just maintaining partnerships with them. We can't lose the Middle East to BRICS. Absolutely. We should have a U.S., Middle East, and Chinese partnership. Which can also include, let's say, hey, BRICS works out, add BRICS in there, add the EU in there. It'll it'll be a good balance. Yeah, and that's that's the perfect. That's I was I was just about to bring that up. <laughs> I mean, the EU like I, like needs to get involved because okay, let's say if they're gonna you start using um, the one as their trade, obviously it's pegged to the dollar and it's not ready to be used. There's not enough in circulation. But you want to know what there is enough in circulation? The euro, and so we can say, hey. You can start trading in euros, and you can start trading in obviously keep trading in dollars. And these are two incredibly stable currencies. In fact, they're the two most stable currencies in the world. Period. So you know you're going to get your value. You know it's not going to be lost. You know you're going to get paid. You know the one can't say the same in most places. You just can't because it's not stable. It's it's not. It's not backed by anything. There's not enough of it, and the Chinese economy is right now in gambles. Let's be honest; it's not doing so hot, and so that that can be one way to help influence them from not going to the one. Is like, yeah, let's just trade in euros because I, I I do one thing I do agree is I think it's it's time to start trading in countries' currencies with other countries instead of using the dollar predominantly. The dollar should still be the reserve currency. It should still be the most traded currency but if, if they want to buy oil let them buy it in euros who cares like it's not going to end the world nothing's going to happen it's only going to benefit europe which is benefit to the u.s like and benefit everyone else. saying whatever the destination country's currency is of a commodity or of a commodity product. besides oil commodities i think that could be in I, oil should be yeah, in dollars I, but everything else who the heck Cares. That, that's it's fair. not going to hurt anybody. It really isn't because the only thing that's pegged to the dollar that is a commodity is oil. So that has to be traded in dollars. But you're only doing the world a favor by first off lowering inflation if you're for those countries by them being able to trade in their own currency. Yeah. It's an interesting take. I didn't think of it like that before. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Not everything has to be traded in one currency. No, I think it it'd be beneficial for a destination country currency too, mm -hmm. for it to be traded like that because now you're building exactly. trust 
into that currency. And when you build trust into a currency, that's what increases its value. But that's what that's what keeps value. That's what keeps the dollar where it is. The strength the strength of a currency matters at the end of the day by trust. Yeah. Like and but when I say trust, a lot of things go into trust. Well, it's the what's being traded, who are the investors in that country, et cetera, et cetera. And you have when you add up all these factors of overall what is the economic development growth? And if it's good, you build trust and that currency is strong. And I think Josh made a great point. What if like we look outwards as well? We look into like African countries and we can trade in their currency as well. Oh my goodness. That, that it would be It'll so increase huge. trust in their their currency. Yeah. And yeah. It'll be so huge for African countries to develop if we can trade in their currency because all of a sudden now if we buy their commodities from Africa and look at the Middle East too. If we buy their commodities from the Middle East and we give them their coins and their dollars, there's more in circulation for them, which means more investment, which means you can hire more workers, less poverty, infrastructure goes up, financial systems become stronger. And that is is so important to economies around the world, is financial services um, and infrastructure. Because if they don't have the correct infrastructure, you know, people are going to be poor and they're not going to have good housing. And if they don't have financial services, I mean, almost two thirds of the world can't bank. But they don't have access to right. a bank account or banks. Which raises my first question then. If this trilateral agreement were to go under which currency should be the one that should be traded when, if there's a, a a trilateral agreement? Hard question. That's a hard question. Because what I was thinking was, okay, now we have all these countries combined. Whose currency are we going to trade? I was thinking where we have a period in which every year we change the currency it's traded in three times a year. So we'll have the first first third be in dollars, the second third be in Chinese yuan, and the third third um piece, which is towards the end of the the, the four the four months after, would be in whatever currency Middle Eastern countries choose. Four. I think it's a fair balance between having these currencies in circulation around the world. Yeah. Besides oil, which is currently pegged to the dollar anyways, and the world trades in dollars for yeah. oil anyways. But everything else other than that, I think there should be like a four month period in which it, it rotates. It. Yeah, that's that's a good idea, but it also you can do um commodities, like what certain commodities can be traded in certain Oh yeah. yeah so that like also works. Whatever too. whatever the, the Saudis are selling to you as a commodity that's not oil be in what's the Saudi currency? Uh, the re- the, re- the real real and then whatever being traded to them from China to be in the yuan and then whatever is being traded from the United States to those countries is in the dollar besides oil well it has to be so yeah in the dollar um, so that could be a good good thing to do in this trilateral partnership because then it it, it shows real partnership because the United States goes in there and just says hey yeah we're gonna trade but it's gotta be in the dollar automatically the United States is it's not that they're winning, but like they have the advantage. It seems like they have the advantage, and the Chinese don't want that. I mean, I'm sure that the that's that you know, awful. Another concern is that yeah. if this partnership goes through, what's not to stop China by trying to figure out ways just to be the leader in this partnership instead of we we don't understand what's in the minds of the Chinese and yeah. Xi Jinping. Well, also, what, Xi Jinping what, just wants control out of BRICS. He wants control out of the Belt and Road Initiative. I think. Maybe we can have the U.S. as like the the balancing act and stopping China from 
trying to take over a partnership for Christ's sake. Like well, just every yeah. partnership they enter, they just want control. What's the United States from doing the same thing too? I mean, that's that's the other issue. We don't know who the next president's gonna be. Yeah, that's fair. Because, you know, certain presidents are gonna have certain views on, on China and, and agreements that should be like primarily in the US dollar. So that's another thing. I think So we just scrap the public sector from this and have this a private sector trilateral agreement. Have the businesses and just have the, the public sectors of each country kind of just as the mediators and facilitators of any diplomatic disputes that occur. Could work. It could work. But it could, but that's that's a tough. big if. Yeah, these are these are all big ifs to be honest. <laughs> yeah. It it's it's interesting because if the United States creates a free trade zone, and and the other thing I brought, up, I I kind of asked myself was the need to create security packs because we don't have like security packs with any of the countries, and that could be a good competition settler for the Chinese too. If we go up to the Saudis and them and be like, hey, we're gonna have a pact here, and when it attacks you or hurts you, you know, we're here, right? And so that could be pretty big because I mean, most people wouldn't attack them because the United States is backing them. But the second thing, it shows China that the United States is not going anywhere. And, I, and, and that's one of the biggest things that I, I think we, we're, we're always struggling to do is that like we, we, we kind of put ourselves in somewhere for a few years and then we kind of back off a little bit. And then we put ourselves back in a few years and we back off a little bit. So everyone's like wary about like, oh, where they're going to be? Are they going to be here? The one thing the Chinese do well, they go in and they're, they they're, here, they're there. They're there to stay. And I think that's where the United States needs to kind of look at the, how they have a relationship with the country is when they make something, you know, just create a pact and, and do it and stay. And if things change, you can just get rid of the pact. Or amend. Know? Yeah, or amend it. So, um, yeah, that, that, that'd be a good start. Yep. And then my next thing I wanted to talk about with this hypothetical partnership is who's going to be in charge of what? So essentially delegating the tasks in between this partnership. So I, what, what, what I was thinking is we have one section, one piece of this partnership be in charge of global energy. Another piece um, be in part in charge of technological developments. One be in charge of, or are we going to have this partnership kind of just diversify and have these countries engage in whatever they want and they can trade amongst themselves trade in this partnership trade outwards as well so that's that's what i was thinking yeah. is how would this partnership is it going to be a sort of a delegation type thing where you delegate different tasks to or are they going to all three of these regions figure out like all right you're china you're building this the united states will offer you manufacturing parts and middle east will give you the energy you need to do that and then we want a piece of whatever you sell out so it's it, it goes deep yeah, i yeah. think i'm going way too deep for this right now but no that, that's a good question because well i think what I, I like i like the just openness of it i think what they should do is just allow them to trade in whatever they want to create the competition because i mean we all know that i mean in terms of manufacturing china is the dominant one yeah in terms of technology the united states is not the dominant one, but the best of the three. And in terms of energy, it's it's the Middle East. But you're going to kind of offend, especially the Chinese, if offend Chinese, if we're like taking over the technology sector and China's like, hey, we, we, we have perfectly good technology too. 
And the Middle East will probably get a little offended by it too. So I think just like creating an open and diverse competition between them to create and sell their own things. Because then if each of them are contributing different technological advances, you know, they can sell them to each other. If they are creating new energy advances, they can sell them to each other. Instead of them relying on the Saudis to just have energy and oil be exported and imported or you know, create new types of energy technology, you can have everyone develop it. So it's not, you know, you don't have to wait for the Saudis to finish something. You know, right. you got something, we'll sell it and we'll, we'll trade with it or give it to you. Um, so maybe just more of an open agreement versus kind of giving them something to do. But that, that's kind of like, like that. yeah, it's kind of like mm-hmm. telling them like, this is all you're good at. So do it. Yeah. And the Chinese might get mad. <laughs> They're like, don't offend us like that. Yeah. <laughs> like we know we're good at manufacturing, but we can do other things too. Yep. Um, and then another question is Israel, which is Ooh. which is an important piece of having this trilateral partnership. Holy for <laughs> Israel. Your reaction was amazing. Jesus. So the final piece of the puzzle is Israel. And the issue with Israel is they are going to feel left out from all of this, and they're still as as far as small as they are, big security implication in the Middle East. And there's no way that this partnership will work unless the Israel Middle East question is solved first. Because it's gonna be like, okay, well now we have that's a wrench. Yeah, <laughs> this is a wrench. They're gonna be like, okay, now we have the Chinese here, we have the Americans here. What and. I'm still. I, we still have this issue with Palestine. How are we going to fix this? And while we're like, oh, well, we're not here for that. We're here for an economic partnership. Israel's going to lose their mind. They're going to be like, well, how 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 could how the United States, yeah. yeah, how could the United States just leave us like that and work with our adversaries? Well, the one thing about the the current president in Israel is he's com- he's incredibly conservative and inward looking. Um, the only thing he cares about is Iran. Um, and Palestine. So maybe, hypothetically, if he's there for another 20 years, probably not going to happen. But if he's there for much longer, I mean, maybe he'll just ignore it. But that's a great point. Like, because, you know, he's very close with Qatar and UAE, but that's it. <laughs> Here's my thing. And this is, this is a personal thing. That peace can be achieved through economic interdependence. When you have so much money on the table, and this is like one of the primary reasons the U.S. and China are not at war over Taiwan right now. It's economic interdependence. Yep. The world collapse. The world would collapse. Two countries, even if they aren't a big part of the international community. One war is enough to take out two countries if you're that interdependent on each other. Yep. And this is this concept can be applied to the Israel question in the Middle East. When you have a trilateral agreement, a trilateral free trade economic agreement between the United States, Middle Eastern countries, and China, Israel will have no choice but to find ways to make it work. Because they're going to miss out on opportunities if they're still inward looking. And they wouldn't risk, they wouldn't want to risk the economic benefits. I have an idea. Just can't my head. So the Chinese just. Between Iran and Saudi Arabia, mm. obviously they're more close with Iran. What if Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Qatar mediators in a, in, um, a deal with Israel and Iran? 
United States is on Israel's side, Chinese with Iran. That's kind of like a representative and a back partner, and the Middle East mediates it. Because the Saudis genuinely don't care about the Israelis. Qatar and the United Arab Emirates have embassies. They have embassies there, so that's great. So they already have kind of friends with Israel. I'm not friends, but diplomatic ties. So they mediate, and then Chinese is with Iran, and Americans are with um, the Israelis. Something can get done. They just need to sit down. I think that would be... I think it could work. I was trying to, was trying to mediate in my head. Yeah. I think it could work. It can work. If the United States and China are not the ones involved in the conversation. Yes, they just have to be there. That's it. They just, that's they it. just have to be there in case things get heated. Yeah. And that's it. We don't have to do anything else. We need to let the Middle East decide them for themselves. Because I feel like we're we're too... We're too trying to be into what's going on in the Middle East, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think we should just have be there and have them discuss it the way they want it and on their terms instead of it being a U.S. or Chinese-based terms. So, I'm trying to think, look up if... Uh, look up yep, on. March 20... I don't know. The United States held a ceremony embassy in Jerusalem. I was trying to see if Tehran has a... Uh, embassy in, in, in Jerusalem. Uh, oh no, the United States just moved its embassies from Tel Aviv. That's yeah. right. I forgot this. They just yeah, moved yeah, in Tel Aviv. So that would be so crucial, I think, to the to the conversation. Would be Tehran and Israel just putting an embassy in and saying, "Oh, that would change. we're going to start. That would change the scope having diplomatic ties with each other, and we can discuss further things later." I think that should be the only the first thing on the table. That should be it. Just to walk in there and be like, "Hey, we're going to put embassies in in each of our and like this is really difficult to do because they despise each other." Um if you want to hear more about that, watch our topic of the week, the Iran and uh Israeli Israel shadow war. Shadow war. Yeah. Great episode. episode. Yeah, um but they, they're they're a very big conflict right now, and recently, I mean, with the drone strike of the facilities, the nuclear facilities, not good. But it's not out of the picture that Iran, since they're becoming more friendly, can can maybe talk to the Israelis. And, and right now, they're really stuck in a conflict with the Palestinians, the Israelis. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the other day, but they were they had a ceasefire agreement, and it was broken by Palestinian militants who shot and killed. I think. Yeah, um, and drew and strikes about ten, um, six to ten soldiers and civilians. So the, I think, I think Iran can also be a mediator with the Palestinians too. That could be good. They can they could talk with the Palestinians and maybe yeah. think about you know, just. I still am a big fan of the two state solution, but I don't think it's gonna happen. I think it is gonna happen. A two state solution, I think is gonna happen for maybe one day. But yeah, it's gonna happen today. Tomorrow, day after tomorrow, no. <laughs> but I think this will end in a two-state solution. That is my so. bet. I, I, I'm, hey. I'm full bets on it. Like I, I will gladly take any bets with anyone. Yeah, that'd be and great. When it comes time, I'm collecting those bets. Collecting <laughs> that money, but yeah, Iran can. Uh, I think, I, and I think Iran needs to be the initiator too. Israel's not going to do it. If Iran went, like, kind of just kind of sent out a message to say, "Hey, we'd like to talk about putting an embassy." Could calm things down for the Israelis significantly. Yep. 
And I just want to end this off by saying what the final goals of this trilateral agreement is. It's purely, I don't think we make this clear. It's purely free trade. Yep. Zero tariffs. Just, if you need a material, I'm going to send it to you. If you need something from me, I'm going to send it to you. This creates a type of economic independence that will solidify global peace. Yep. It will solidify it. And you're asking why? Well, it's because if you have such three of the most influential regions working together, the re- all the rest of the world wants a piece in, piece of it. Yep. Pe- people are not going to trust the BRICS. People are not going to trust NATO. There's too much division. People yep. are not going to trust economic ties with the EU, even though they, they're a little more trustworthy. Yeah. We need a sort of agreement where it's an adversary on one side, an adversary on another side, and a neutral ground to be working together to show that this can be done and here are the benefits. Absolutely. And that's where you can get, um, if that works, you can get the EU involved, you can get the, the African Union involved, you can get ASEAN involved, which that's a great point, actually, now I'm thinking about that, it. Uh, yeah, I'll getting, get getting ASEAN involved would be yeah, it'd be great. It'd be pretty nice. I would, I would love ASEAN to be a part of this, but of course we need the base and eventually ASEAN would tie in, would tap into it. Yeah. Bricks would become the thing it'll tap into. Latin America. I mean, mm. the world, the world is moving in a direction to where, uh, unfortunately, because of the war in Russia and what's going on in Taiwan, that we're moving more towards independent economies, but security alliances. And not that that's a, a bad thing. It's just not technically a it's good not thing. Supposed to be. Yeah, we want to have both. We want to have security alliances, but we also want to have economic and free trade. Um, you know, we recently the United States and Japan and the Philippines are running trade exercises. Um, they just had South South Korea just had a talk. Um, mm-hmm. I just visited the Japanese Prime Minister. Thank goodness. That's great. Great did to you hear. call that? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I don't know which episode it was. I told it. You yeah. said something they, about they it. They need to talk. I don't know what it was either. But they, they need. I know to, it was recent. Yeah, they need to talk. Thank goodness they talked. They just they just sat down. Um, and so this is this could be the right direction too. The the, the war in Ukraine could also be the finally wake up call that we need to collaborate more. I mean, look at Europe. Europe is building up their military and collaborating much more. Um, with their with, in between themselves, the United States, um, the African Union, for the most part, outside of the countries that abstained, are working together and helping out with Europe and the Ukrainians. Um, Eastern Asia obviously is becoming much more friendlier, thank goodness. And so this this could be the next step is getting the Middle East involved in all this and helping the, and helping them expand the horizons. And I think that's exactly what the Saudis want to do. And if the Saudis can lead that, and with the previous episode we talked about Turkish elections, if the new Turkish president, Kamal, can work with the Saudis to do that, there's endless opportunities for the world to converge. Yep. So. Fantastic. Yeah. I think I've exhausted everything. Yeah, I got it more. You good? Yeah. All right, perfect. So that kind of wraps up this uh, this hypothetical episode on the possibility of a trilateral economic partnership between these three big regions. Um, we ask you all to take a look at this possibility and to think about it. Of course, right now it's not possible, but it's something that could happen maybe in our lifetime, maybe in our next generation. Our children's lifetime, maybe. Yeah. yeah. You never know. 
Maybe, yeah, we might be dead, Josh, before the <laughs> But it doesn't hurt to think of what it can be because eventually at some point in time, I strongly believe that we're going to have this one world idea. Um, and we learn about this throughout this semester, about the possibility of the world the converging worlds. converging to one world. With, of course, multiple cultures and all that. We're all not going to be... Just economies. We don't need the... Economies are going to converge. We don't need one government. We don't need one government. We don't need one culture. We need diversification, but I, there will be a time where e economies will converge. So... They're moving on that path really, really quickly. And something like this would be key for that happening. Yep. Would be the prime example of they did it. Why can't we do yep. it? There's a lot of key regions that we discussed over over our time in, in the podcast. And uh, I think the two that are the most important right now are Africa and the Middle East. Um, because of just of how much influence they've had in recent years and what their populations are going to be in the future. Um, and then I think the third one would be uh, Latin America. Those are the ones that need to we need to focus on to help develop and turn this world into the you know the utopia that we think it could be because it can be it really can be we have what it takes. So yeah. All right. Thank you for listening in, everyone, and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you.